Welcome back to the Sports Entertainment Express podcast. It's episode 52 and a lot of covering sports entertainment. As I'm your host, Ryan Persaud, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or other platforms as well. Remember to subscribe, share, and rate the podcast after you're done listening. And go follow on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to be up to date on all the entertainment and sports updates and content on all those platforms uh let's get right into things here i mean uh, so much has happened here in the last two weeks and um in the nfl let's get things going there i mean y'all know the super bowl has been played and it's gone into the off season and the off season is going to be very interesting i can't wait to talk about that you know on the pod but other than that i do want to talk about this super bowl matchup between kansas City chiefs and the philadelphia eagles where it was a mahomes miracle butker up got it here we go hurts as all day, now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. So it was too late in the game for Jalen Hurts to get a touchdown in the last dying seconds of the fourth quarter as the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So a big congrats to them. But what a game it was between the two teams and an amazing halftime show from Rihanna. But did you know her performance? Performance brought in 103 FFC complaints. It is crazy to think about that. Most of the complaints were about how Rihanna's performance and lyrics were way too sexualized. But I mean, I've seen worse. Where I questioned myself about Miley Cyrus's performance at the 2014 MTV Awards, and people were and people at the award show stunned. But at the time, Miley was 22 and complaints were coming in. And if you haven't seen the video, go check it out on YouTube. But other than that, what's the difference? I mean, the lyrics in songs these days are exposing more feelings, if you can say, if you know what I'm saying here. But most of the complaints were about Rihanna's backup dancers who were making gestures. Now, she, now, they weren't the only one making gestures. I mean, Rihanna was, you know, doing her choreography and everything like that. But I think it's all in the choreography they train to do to get it right on the biggest stage. And probably back in the early 2000s and around the 90s, it was still there, but a glimpse of it. You know what I'm saying here. But for parents out there who allowed their children to watch it, watch the Super Bowl halftime show performance, I think it's on the parents. Because because you can easily make the decision to not watch the halftime show with your children or child and talk to your children about the decision you made on not watching or not allowing them to watch the halftime show. You know, I think there's a lot to say, a lot that can be done and the right decision making. But let's get into the next topic here. College sports. I don't really talk about this on the podcast, and this is the first time I've talked about this. And once again, there's this lack of concern, this growing concern more so, of a lack of diversity and strikes again. Here, here once again, and this is why I just wanted to bring this up because it is talking about lack of diversity. But this time it's in college sports, and it's a growing concern. America's college and universities continue to show an enormous underrepresentation of 
women and people of color in campus leadership programs. In college sports, the number of head coaches who were people of color at FBS, football, bowl, subdivision, schools, schools, decreased in 2022. Plus, it's dominated in in white males for roles for presidents slash chancellors and athletic directors. But here is an interesting fact on a quick comparison between the NFL and college football student athletes, where the players of color is nearly 70% in the NFL and 65.7% in college football. Now, in FBS schools have seen a slight increase in the practice of hiring people of color in 2022, where it was 18.5% to 23.1%. That's an improvement, for sure. That is a 5.4 increase. The landscape in sports leagues minor or professional, are slowly changing. Jesse L. Jackson, founder of Rainbow Push, said the NCAA cannot avoid this troublesome trend and lack of progress in racial and gender hiring practices and have a consistently advocated that the NCAA needs to create an intentional and inclusionary plan to make it an authentic priority. To embrace equity and Quality and allow qualified women and minorities for various positions and discontinue the old boy network. Now, it gets me thinking about the phrase, the old boy network, because it just sounds, it sounds so, it sounds familiar to the old boys club. When the Oilers and NHL team were in a rebuild stage in the franchise after the 2006 Stanley Cup playoffs and kept thinking what were people saying on why to get rid of the old boys club. Then it clicked like a light bulb where in any professional sports league team goes through a rebuild and the management team is still glued together and decisions have to be made to move forward and wanting to win a championship for their team. Then started understanding because sometimes you'll have new faces in different roles behind the scenes to put their team in playoff contenders talk category if that makes sense but going back to the lack of diversity the 2022 season 83.2 percent of head coaches were white which was a 0.9 percent increase from 2021 now there was a 2.4 percent decrease from 2021 in coaches of color. Most coaches of color were black at 9.9%, followed by Latinos with 3.6%. With the numbers I have pointed out and told you, there is so much room in growth, in hiring more coaches of color to make a difference in our society. For collegiate athletes to thrive and grow, leaders of these institutions must embrace diversity and inclusion at a higher level. It kind of reminds me of a time of myself not feeling included. And that was when I played curling in high school. Only brown person on the curling team and everyone else was white but at the end of the day i enjoyed the game of curling and on top of that they included me in the team where it is nice to be included in a sport that you enjoy when people on the other side open their arms and say you are welcomed here 
don't care about the ethnicity, skin color. We want this sport to grow. And for me, being able to go on to that team and, you know, almost go into provincials, that was the nice thing. I mean, you can say I was like the last pick in the draft, but I was the most improved player at the end of my first season, which was really nice and rewarding. The boys I was with, they made me feel included and they wanted to help me out, which is nice to improve my game in the sport of curling. But you know what, talking about curling, it was another great year at the Scotties as the 2023 Scotties ended, of course. And it all began on February 17th uh, to the 26th and many surprising results came through at this year's Scotties with many veteran teams taking the lead of their province. But the wild card teams were quite interesting as well. Two out of the three were a young team, which was wild card two and wild card three. On wild card two, Taylor McDonald, who is uh, 29, played with Casey Scherdinger, who is a veteran, where the team finished seventh in Pool B this year. Then team wild card three, a young team led by Megan Walter, who is 21, making her first Scottish appearance played well and finished fifth in the standings. I think she will take this experience and use it as a stepping stone to get better and grow as an athlete. I gotta be serious, it was tough competition in Pool B this year. You had Manitoba led by Jennifer Jones, on Northern Ontario led by Christina Kerrville, and Ontario led by Rachel Holm, all veterans. But there were two surprises at the Scotties. One, where Northwest Territories made things happen, being so close, securing a spot at the playoff round, which was led by Carrie Galusha. The second surprise was Team Manitoba, who played incredible, led by Jennifer Jones, who had quite a bit on her shoulders, if you can say. She definitely led a young Manitoba team to the finals to face Carrie Anderson of Team Canada. Jennifer Jones really believed in this young core, took them under her wing, and guided them to the finals. I mean, Zacharias is a young player on that squad, and it's her third Sky's appearance, and uh, man, she did everything she could, which, you know, I've never seen it happen. British Columbia was another young team this year, where they finished second place in Pool A. Nova Scotia and Quebec, Quebec had a good run in as Nova Scotia qualifying for the playoffs in Quebec. That was outside looking in, they always say. But a big congrats to Team Canada, led by Carrie Anderson, who will go play at the World Women's Curling Championship in Sandvik, Sweden from March 18th to the 23rd. Let's get into some entertainment now. There's so much happening in entertainment and um, so much has happened in entertainment. But let's get right into that. Uh, high expectations for Creed 3 over the weekend was a projected 36 to $40 million. But the real question is, can it surpass Ant-Man and the Wasp on Now, with this projection to, to earn between 36 to $40 
$40 million would be a trilogy best, but which is being played on 4,007 North American theaters in its opening weekend. It earned $58.7 million in North America and $41.8 million internationally, but making it the biggest opening in the trilogy. Also, the biggest domestic opening for a sports movie ever. Now, altogether, that is just a bit over $101 million. The previous record holder was the 2010 remake of The Karate Kid. The first Creed movie with Ryan Coogler rebooted the Rocky franchise for a new generation upon its release in 2015 to audience and critical acclaim, where it made $29.6 million, and in 2018, sequel Creed II made $35.5 million. But to be honest, I thought Rotten Tomatoes would have given it a lower rating, but it was nice to see movie critics give it a high rating at 91%. Now, it took one punch for Michael B. Jordan to make history in his directional debut, which is the biggest opening ever for a black actor. That is amazing stuff. The movie managed to surpass its $75 million budget in its opening weekend despite this being the first film in nearly 50 year history of the Rocky and Creed film franchises to not feature Sylvester Stallone. Let's get into the next topic here, fighting off ticket scalpers as a whole in the music industry. Can it be done? Irving Azov, who is an American executive and chairman of Full Stop Management, which represents recording artists who teed off on Scaplers, Subhub, and the federal government during a Polestar Live conference at the Beverly Hilton in Beverly Hills, along with artist Garth Brooks, MSG Entertainment Chairman James Dolan, and former top Department of Justice antitrust official Markan Dalarim. For the way it was handled in last year's Senate Judiciary uh, Committee on Ticketing, back in 2019, Delarim investigated Live Nation and Ticketmaster on behalf of the Department of Justice, where some panelists at Congress was convoluting two separate issues, but as I've said, it's likely perpetrated by scaplers who steal massive amounts of tickets and pay lobbyists to demonize Ticketmaster and actually make laws who support and protect scalpers instead of artists or fans. That's a scary thought. Even the Live Nation competitors were stunned after hearing about this for the music business. If you did not know, there were controversies in the post-pandemic period about consumer frustration over high prices for Adele, Bruce Springsteen, and Blink-182 tickets. Concert businesses want to get a hold of these scalpers to create a voice for buildings, artists, promoters, and ticketing companies to decrease scalpers of using bots, which slows down the system so people get frustrated and then head secondary markets immediately. It's basically difficult for people who can't get their hands on tickets unless they're making a seven-figure income. No artist wants their fans to pay for a ticket that is exponentially higher than the face value, said Azoff, which is 
true because the one person put in so much of their time of hard work to purchase the ticket. But the government does not even care. They are screwing artists left, right, and center. There is a long history of that. There are a lot of these misleading ticket sites to make a fast buck and get you to purchase a fraudulent ticket. As all fears the growth about the growth of the secondary ticketing markets have not materialized and today the industry has been marginalized to the point that some actors have resorted to illegal acts of procure ticketing. Uh, let's get into some fun facts right here. I got two fun facts here for you. Just first fun fact is most goals in a single World Junior Championship tournament by Czechia was was in 1995 where they scored 43 and in this year's World Juniors it was 35. And the second fun fact is on February 20th, 1992, former NHL player Bill Guerin made his debut with the New Jersey Devils to be the first known player of Hispanic descent to play in the NHL. And that's all the opinions and topics I got for you. Thank you for listening to episode 52. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. And remember to subscribe, slash follow, share, and rate the podcast I've done listening. And go check out Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on all social media pages. Music